Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. He is risen. For some of us, it's not Easter if we don't do that, right? Want to do it again? He is risen. This has been a a time that uh, we have spent just exploring together the amazing quality of the grace of God. But I want you to understand something. The grace of God is Jesus. And I I, want to bring together, it's a couple of illustrations that I've used often, but I just love them so much, and I think they, they bring together what Good Friday to Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday means. The first one is this. There was a there was a pastor who lost his wife while his daughter was still under 10 years old. He's trying to explain death and process death with his young daughter. One day they were crossing a busy urban street, probably in Philadelphia or New York City, and a truck came rumbling out of nowhere and just about hit them. And as he was comforting his daughter, he could, he could sense her terror. He could feel her fear. And in that moment, he felt like he had a picture to give to her. He said, did the truck hit you? She said, no, the truck didn't hit me. He said, then you were only hit by the shadow of the truck. And then he looked at her and he said, Jesus on the cross took the full hit of the truck of death so that we who are in Christ will only feel the shadow of death. That's what happened on Good Friday. Jesus went into death having atoned for our sin. Death could not in any way get its hooks in Jesus. There's a a deep law that says if someone who is innocent dies, death cannot hold them. So on the third day, this day, Jesus threw off the shackles of death, rose from the dead, and there's an empty tomb. Now that resurrection means a tremendous thing for us. Now, I'm going to illustrate it in a silly way just by saying I really hate Costco. <laughs> I hate going to Costco. Lisa makes me go to Costco. There are some things you can't get except at Costco. But man, I do this when I go to Costco. I guard my receipt. Because you can't get out of that place without a receipt. (laughs) Somebody you don't even know has to check all your items, make a mark saying you're free to go. I think hell is probably you are in Costco and you have no receipt. (laughs) And you can never leave. You know, that's that's my idea of hell. But, uh, But here's the deal. This is what I know. That when I show them the receipt, it says, I have paid for the items. I will never have to pay for them again. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the receipt that my sins have been paid for and that God has accepted the payment for my sins because if Jesus is raised, then the payment is accepted. And His resurrection is my receipt that even though I will go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not stay there. 
that even if this body dies, yet it will live. And I will live forever with the Lord. So, this Good Friday shadow of death, this Resurrection Sunday receipt of the payment of all of my sins leads to a glorious praise because the domain of sin has been broken. Would you read with me? This is the last verse of that hymn. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. It probably doesn't really matter because I'm in control of the microphone. (laughs) But I hope you have enjoyed it as much as I have. But this is the seventh verse of our Burundi hymn about the grace of God. Would you read it out loud with me? Come now, the whole of me, eyes, ears, and voice, join me, creation all, with joyful noise. Praise Him who broke the chain, holding me in sin's domain, and set me free again. Sing and rejoice. That's your Costco receipt right there. Broke the chain, set me free. Now sing and rejoice together. Well, this passage, uh, uh, this verse actually refers to a passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 6. I'm going to make you read a lot today. It's a little bit of a long passage, but I love it when you read God's Word. It's just something about the church reading the Word of God together. Will you read it with me? What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we will certainly also be united with Him in a resurrection like His. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over Him. The death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, but you are under the law 
but under grace. So our writer of this hymn, he wants all of creation to join him to praise what happened on Resurrection Sunday. Because when Jesus was raised from the dead, the domain of sin, or the dominion of sin, was broken. That chain that had been forged by sin in your life and my life, that chain was broken in His resurrection. And he's referring here to Paul's teaching that we just read. As a matter of fact, this very passage that we read is actually the center of everything that has to do with living a victorious Christian life. This is, this is fundamental teaching. Paul says, do you not know this? Because if you don't know this, then the resurrection doesn't have a lot of power in your life. If you don't know this, then the cross doesn't have a lot of power in your life. And you might say, well, as I was reading this, this was fairly complicated. This was not easy to, re easy to read or easy to understand. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Peter wrote and said, sometimes Paul is really hard to understand. And part of it is because what he's teaching, though central to our victory, is also radical and different than any other religious teaching that there is anywhere. I mean, this is teaching that says, it will not be enough, friend, for you to be a philosophical Christian. It will not be enough for you to try to modify a bit of your behavior and try to make yourself a little bit more like Jesus. This is the kind of radical teaching that says, there has to be a supernatural DNA, spiritual Identity change in you that you can't do for yourself. Amen. And he's saying, unless you get this, you'll never live in the grace of this. Now, you might say to me, well, how am I supposed to get it? Look, when Paul wrote this, he was writing to people who couldn't read. There were, there were all kinds of slaves who were Christians in Rome. They couldn't read. They couldn't write. Do you know what they would do, though, when they, would, they had heard this one time? They'd say, read it to me again. And then as they walked that road of, of trying to go deeper and deeper in the grace of God, do you know what they would say? Read that thing Paul said to me one more time. Read it to me again, because I know if I can get this, I can live a transformed life. My freedom. You see, there are things in the Christian life that are already true. They're already provided for you. They are yours, but they are only activated by faith. Yeah. I mean, you, you kind of know this. If you have money in the bank and you get an ATM card and you just put that card in a, somewhere in a, a drawer somewhere, you can't access that money. It's your money, but you can't access it till you activate your card and start using it. There are many things, friends, that you have to believe, you have to activate by your belief before you experience them. They're already true. Your belief doesn't make them true. But your belief allows you to experience them in ever-deepening ways. Yeah. These are the things that belong to you 
but they're not done by you. They were done for you, and now they're being done in you, and you have to receive and give access to the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. You are the one who says, I'm open to you or I'm closed to you. Now let me sum up what, what Paul says in this whole passage that we read. This, this is his, his central teaching here. That one who is truly a Christian, someone who has truly been born again, someone who has a new spiritual DNA, has a new identity in Christ, that one has been mastered by grace. Grace now permeates every, every fiber of your being. Your soul is under grace, not under law. To be a Christian means grace has mastered you. And although grace has mastered you, you're st- you still have to deal with the presence of sin. You still have to de- deal with the presence of sin, but having already been set free because of the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been set free from the reign of sin. You've been set free from the dominion of sin. Can I, let, let me just give you a real practical implication of this. So many of us say something like this, I just can't help myself. I just keep doing this. Oh, I always feel this way. This always happens to me. You see, this is the opposite of you knowing what you have in the bank. This is the opposite. This is you passively receiving from your old master. When that master no longer has a right to you, nor any longer has authority over you, unless he can lie to you and deceive you. Because sin no longer has mastery. Because when Jesus died, you died with Jesus. And when Jesus rose again from the dead, you rose with Him. You see, that the essence of the Christian life isn't just that Jesus died for me, which was a very loving act. But the essence and the radicalness that's so different about Christianity is that actually God counts it as if I died with Jesus. As if I am raised with Jesus. It's not just a new morality. It's not new, new theology. It's not new philosophy. It's a union with Christ. So much so that I am a new kind of person. And you are a new kind of person. See, one of the things that's tough in pastoral ministry is, is, is laid out by two problems that one of the great Puritan preachers said. He said there's a problem of persuading people who really are under the reign of sin, that they really are under the reign of sin. That's called evangelism. But there's also a problem of persuading people who are no longer under the reign of sin, that they are no longer under the reign of sin. Because most of us believe our experiences, our feelings, we believe our circumstances more than we believe the truth of God. And so what happens to us, is, and, and maybe you don't realize this, the battle is not really for your emotions. The battle is for your beliefs. The battle is for your mind. You see, if what you believe is wrong, what you feel will not be right. But if what you believe is true, then what you feel will be real. 
what you believe is always diagnosed by how you feel. So you can say, oh, God is good, but then if you never feel a trust in Him, if all you feel is anxiety, then you don't really believe He's good. You believe He's not good enough to be trusted. Are you quiet because you hate being here right now? We live in the see, we live in the presence of sin. God has not taken away the presence of sin. And therefore, those of us who have been delivered from the reign or the chain of sin, we will struggle because we live in that presence. But our struggle with sin is actually evidence that we have been changed. We have been changed. The struggle itself is evidence that you have a new life. If you didn't have a new life, you wouldn't struggle. And so instead of going, oh, I'm always struggling, you should say, oh, I'm always struggling. Isn't this awesome? The struggle itself says you have been transferred from one master to another. Now, are you tracking with me in this? So Paul in chapter 5, which is right before what we read, Paul in that chapter, he goes, you know, where God is so gracious and His, mate, His grace is so amazing. He says, wherever sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And you know what? I've seen that on big scales. Not just, not just personal scales, big scales. In 1997, I got to go to Cali, Colombia. And if you remember in the 90s, that was the height of the drug cartel, the Colombian drug cartel. They were... They were, the, you know, Pablo Escobar and all of those people. And I went to Cali in the midst of that coming down. And it was, a, it was an incredible time to be in Cali. But I was met at the airport by my host, which is a young pastor that I stayed with for about two weeks. And he looked at me and he said, as much as Cali has been known for sin, Cali will be known for grace. And then he looked at me and he said, because the Bible says where sin abounds, grace superabounds. And you know what happened the 10 days that I was there? It was very both personal and it was, it was huge, bigger than me. Every taxi cab driver that I, read, I, I, I was riding with, every single one of them came to Jesus just as I talked to them. Now, I asked them to pray, you know, and ask the Lord in their heart. I just said, please keep your eyes on the road while you're doing this. <laughs> we had a concert. Uh, 20,000 people showed up for a Christian concert. The power of God was so wonderfully evident that anybody that was not a Christian came to the altar and gave their lives to Christ. But what was so exciting to watch is every policeman laid down his rifle and ran to the altar. My, my great moment, one of my greatest moments of all time was an all-night prayer meeting. It started at 8 o'clock at night, went till 6 a.m. the next morning in a stadium with 40, 48,000 people praying. You see, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. You, you understand what I'm saying to you. Whatever you're struggling with, grace is more amazing than what you're struggling with. But here's, here's, the, here's what Paul, Paul knows. Paul is so wise. And he goes, okay, there are a bunch of smart alecks 
out there. Now, he said it differently, but it's Sunday, so I'll just use that word. So he goes, there's some of you who are going to say, well, if grace superabounds, then I need to be doing more sin so that I can get more grace. The gift of smart aleckness there. So shouldn't I sin more, they're saying, so that I can get more grace? And then here's how Paul answers that. This very starting place in chapter 6, in verse 1, he says, Paul says it this way, the grace of God does not lead to more sin. The more grace leads to greater deliverance. And a, a less attraction to sin. Think about this with me. I grew up with this one gospel song, this, this kind of hymn that was so meaningful to me. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and His grace. See, what I'm convinced of is a lot of people have never looked into the face of Jesus, but they've seen the rules of what they think is Christianity. You see, the thing about rules is that there is something inside of you that if I make a rule, it becomes the only thing you want to do is break that rule. I remember this as a kid. There were things that were, you can't go here, and that's the only place I wanted to go. My grandmother had this living room, and it was the only room in her house. All the floors were hard, and you couldn't wrestle, but in the living room, she had this thick carpet. And my brother and I wanted to go in there and wrestle and fight in her living room. But she also had her tchotchkes there. You know, she had her, I don't know why in Louisiana they call them whatnots, but they were her precious collection. And on top of that, not only did we have the rule you couldn't go in there because there were her collection, but her picture of Jesus that follows you all over the room. <laughs> that one with the eyes, you know, that look like it moves. So I had my grandmother's prohibition and Jesus' guilt. <laughs> but the carpet was just too inviting. So we would, we would say, okay, we can't go in the room. We'd lean over like that, you know? Because if you tell somebody you can't do something, it becomes the only thing they want to do. It's the only thing that, that, that really... and so. You see, if all we have is a religion of do-nots and do this and don't do that, then what happens is actually sin becomes more appealing. The rule becomes a desire to break the rule. So it has to be, friends, that, that you start to realize that Christianity is Jesus. It is looking full into His face Seeing the joy. As a matter of fact, the Bible says the face of God is the longing of every heart. That when you see His face, you will see your face for the first time. So here's what Paul... Are you, are you tracking with me on that? Here's what Paul answers. He says, Shall we go on sinning now that grace has so abounded to us? And I love his first reaction. His first reaction is not intellectual. It is not theological. He goes, are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, basically, it's God forbid. It's meganoita in Greek. I have no idea what it is in Yiddish, but I'm sure there's a word. You know, he, he, gets, he doesn't go intellectual. He goes, 
Can you be more idiotic? Do you have you really experienced the grace of God that sets you free from the destructive forces of sin in your life? And then you say, Great, now I can do more of that destruction. No, he says, May it never be, God forbid. But then he begins to unpack why. And he says, How is it? Do you not understand what has happened? You died to sin. When you come to Christ, you're not joining a religion. You're not changing morality. You are dying with Christ. He didn't just die for you. You died with Him. So if you died to sin, how can you live in it any longer? That's his argument. See, it's a much bigger thing than just you begin to do some kind of religious discipline or religious rules or whatever it is. No, you have been united with Christ in His death. And you died to sin because you died with Christ. And he says, look, here's the picture of it. It's baptism. Don't you know the water does nothing? It gets you wet, but it doesn't do anything for your soul whatsoever. But it's a picture that when you go under the water, now some of you may have gone under the water that, that somebody poured over you or somebody sprinkled over you. Here at this church, we like you to go all the way under the water and I keep you there till all the sins are gone. <laughs> I've been paid by some wives to keep them longer. That's why I do like immersion because when you go under the water, you're like, I'm going into death. And if Mike doesn't let me up, I'm not going to come back alive. You see, it's a picture. You understand? We didn't just decide we're going to change our morality. We didn't decide we're going to change our theology. We died in the death of Christ. God the Father considers that you were on the cross with His Son. So that you died to sin. Isn't that an awesome truth? Listen, Paul says you can go your whole life and not know this. But see, if you know this, you can never be the same again. Who I was died. Who I am is still emerging. Still developing. So Paul says it this way when he says, so you died with Christ. Then he says, he says, what kind of people are we then? Are we the kind that having received this grace, because we didn't merit it, we didn't do anything for it, all we did is accept it. By accepting Christ's death as my death. That's all He's asking of me. Do we go on then sinning as if it's never happened to us? As if it never was true? What kind of person... He says, are you? So, let, let me illustrate this for you that there are three kinds of people. Alright, here's one secret. Basically, if you're just a sinner, then you actually can enjoy your sin. I mean, because by nature, you're doing what is natural. So you're doing what your heart longs to do, and that's to sin. To live independently of God, to establish your own identity, now, the problem is that the things you enjoy in your sin actually only lead to destruction. 
And the more you do them, the more destructive they are. But, kind of in a sense, totally ignorantly, it just seems like, great, I'm, I'm a sinner, I'm sinning. Now on the other side of this is the person who gets what Paul's saying and said, wait a minute, sin no longer has dominion over me. I died with Christ. I am raised with Christ. I am a new person. I have a new status. I have a new identity. I have a new passport. I have all of the, you know, a new authority. I have all of these things. This is who I am. And you begin to live a life submitted to your new identity. No longer offering yourself as an instrument of unrighteousness. You begin to offer yourself as an instrument of righteousness. And even your body becomes a fertile ground for holiness. And you start to go, wait a minute, this is what I was made for. This is the true me. This is who I always wanted to be. So, you see, there's this kind of person that says, you know, I'm just sinning and enjoying my sin. And then there's the kind of person who's died to sin and is alive to Christ and is offering their body as this fertile place for righteousness and holiness. And you're like, this is what I was made for. And then there's a third kind who tries to straddle both worlds. Who, are, who, who has experienced the new birth, has been born of the Spirit, but at the same time is still offering themselves to unrighteousness and finding that though they have, they have died to sin, they're still going back deceived to sin as if it were their master. Now, the person who's just a sinner sinning, they're pretty happy. The person who's really died to sin and living for Christ, that's what you were made for. That's your true destiny and identity. That person is not only happy, but is full. And who understands abundant life, victorious life. But this person is utterly miserable in the middle. Because they can neither enjoy the things of this world, nor are they enjoying the things of God. As a matter of fact, the Bible says they have either quenched or grieved the Holy Spirit. You, can you imagine how happy you can be if the Holy Spirit is crying inside of you every day? Uh, what's that feeling? Oh, that's the tears of the Holy Spirit crying inside of me as I do this thing. I mean, I even, are, are you hearing me? Because so many Christians live right here. Having had some experience of resurrection power, having died with Christ, living in Christ, but always going back and saying, but my real, you know, my real happiness is in the world. My real happiness is giving myself to sexual immorality and anxiety and giving myself to anger and fear, giving myself to pride and rebellion. And living in the middle is miserable. Can't be happy here because you're torn between two masters. This is why Paul says, what kind of person are you? Are you the one who's realized I'm dead to sin and alive to God? Look, are you hearing me? Can you hear me? Because this is really big. <laughs> You're not going to be happy halfway one way, halfway the other. You're only going to be happy if you give yourself fully. Now, here's, here's what Paul says about this. It isn't that you're dying to self. It isn't that you're dying to sin. He says, consider yourself dead. In other words, the death to sin is not an imperative. It's not a command. It's a completed action. 
It's already been done. It's for you to receive. It's not for you to achieve. And some people are like, yeah, you know, I'm trying every day to die to sin. No, friend. If every day you're trying to die to sin, guess what? Sin's going to get more and more alive. Because it's going to get really attractive. You've got to take your stand wherever you are in the midst of your sin or whatever's going on that has you captivated or captured, and you have to say to that sin, no, I am dead to you. I died with Christ. You know what the, the Bible says? Sin, it doesn't say sin as a behavior. It, Paul in this passage says sin as a person. It's like sin with a capital S. And he says, sin wants to be your master. It says sin wants to be your general. It says sin wants to be your employer and pay you wages. And what you have to do is you have to stand up and say, no, I died with Christ. I am raised with Christ. Therefore, you're not my employer. You're not my general. You will not command me. And you are not my master. You see, it isn't like, I'm going to try not to like pornography. Guess what? You'll like it more. I'm going to try not to worry. Now you're worried that you're worrying. <laughs> I'm going to try to believe more. I'm going to try to not have so much. Now you're worried that you're unbelieving too much. Every time you try to take care of sin, sin masters you more. What you have to do is give it the pink slip. What you have to do is show, show sin you have a new passport. You're not a citizen of that country anymore. You're not a subject of that king anymore. You have a new king and you have a new country and you have a new identity and that old country doesn't have a claim on you. It's so important that you understand what I'm saying. It is not about it is not about you trying. It is about you receiving. God is not commanding you to die to sin. He's saying believe you have died to sin. He is not saying it's a progressive kind of thing where you're, you know, progressively dying to sin. No. This day, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because you have the receipt, the passport is yours. The citizenship of heaven is yours. The king is yours. A new kingdom, a new identity in that kingdom. But you and I have fallen prey so often to the agenda of the enemy, which is basically this. If he can render you passive, then He can run His game on you. And you can believe somehow that He still has mastery over you. But this day, whether your feelings are right or they're, even if they're unreal, the radical truth is that because Jesus is alive, then God has accepted His sacrifice on your behalf. Because Jesus is alive, God has raised you to newness of life. This is who you are. This is your identity.
Will you stand with me? In, uh, in, the, in, in the English translation, it doesn't make this as strong as I've tried to make it for you this morning. What shall we say? Shall we go on sinning? But that's, that's how it says it in English. But in, in the Greek, it says, Are we the kind of people who will not recognize that we have died to sin, that we are alive to this amazing grace, and therefore will say, You're not my master, sin. You're not my... You're not my general. You're not my king. You're not my employer. If we are such people, then we then have given access to God to make our very bodies fertile soil of righteousness. Of you not only to feel right with God, but to feel right with yourself. And to become the person even greater than you ever dreamed that you could be. But you have to see yourself where you are. Are you the kind of person that basically says, you know, I'm a sinner and I enjoy my sin? Or maybe you're in that, this boat and you're saying, I've been a sinner and I, I'm not enjoying my sin. I really want a transfer today out of this country. Out of this dominion. Out of this domain. Well, the way to do that is to receive what Jesus has done as if you did it with Him. Not only did He do it for you, but he, he, you did it with Him. This is one of the most amazing truths I have ever, ever encountered is the fact that once you receive the work of Jesus Christ in your life, God the Father counts all of your guilt against Jesus and then counts all the righteousness of Jesus towards you. So that, so that you are considered by the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ to be as righteous as Jesus Christ. I, if that's not amazing, I'm looking around this room and I'm going, I wouldn't call any of you righteous. <laughs> I mean, wicked maybe, but righteous. I mean, if you're not amazed by that, that, that you, knowing your secrets, knowing your past, knowing your weaknesses, and yet... The Father, because you're in Christ, says you're as righteous as Christ. Would you look at the person next to you? I've I just been doing this all week, but look at the person next to you and say, the Father considers you as righteous as Jesus. Now laugh really hard. Uh, you understand, here's what religion can do for you, all right? It can give you a substitute or a sacrifice. So you could take your sins, you could confess it over an animal, or you could take your sin and you can confess it over your money and buy a hospital wing or do all of these things. You could confess and, and put your sin on the animal or put your sin on the money and maybe in some way it would relieve you of some guilt. But the problem is that animal can't give you righteousness. That money can't make you righteous. You might have relieved yourself of guilt, but the sin that's the problem is still the master of you even if you make sacrifices. The only way that you are transformed from being by nature a sinner 
is because our sin was put on Jesus and Jesus' righteousness, His holiness, His godliness, everything that He is is put on us. So the Father says, you are as righteous as Jesus Christ. And I know my life and I go, thank you, Jesus. And then I can say with faith, I died to sin because I died with Christ. I live in a new life because I was raised with Jesus Christ. You may not believe me, but there is a spiritual reality surrounding you. There are assignments of demons against you. Your life is more than just you you trying your best. There is a spiritual attack on each and every one of you. And what they want to do is to blind you to what you have in Christ and get you hooked back into the old slavery of unrighteousness. I want you today to put your hand up. Whatever assignment, whatever spiritual assignment has been against you, you get to be the policeman because you're in a new kingdom. They don't belong here. But you have to say it and mean it that it's for you and say this with me. I died with Christ. You're not my master. You're not my general. You're not my employer. I reject you. And I evict you from my life. The chain is broken. I am raised with Christ. I have a new identity. A new kingdom. A new king. A new passport. Lord, we see what you're doing now. In Jesus' name. Amen. He is risen. Share that love with one another. God bless you. Happy Easter.